Hello, good evening, and welcome. Uh, it might not be the evening when you listen to this at your end, but uh, that doesn't really matter. Uh, welcome to uh, Science and Magic, the movies of Studio Ghibli, where myself, Neil, uh, is joined by my good friends, Jamie and Ruben, to talk about each of the Studio Ghibli movies in release order. And we are up to, uh, what is it, episode number three? Uh, oof. The Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, Jamie, as our natural world expert, uh, in the spirit of your current Colorado wildlife series, question for you, do you get fireflies in Colorado? We do not. I have only seen fireflies once in my life, and that was in uh, New York. And I... I've had this issue with a number of things I've seen in movies or read about in books, which is that most of those things are not made in Colorado. And so the wildlife Mm. or descriptions of plants often sound fantastical to me. And then I go somewhere like England or the East Coast, (laughs) and I am shocked to discover that they are real. (laughs) The first time I, the one time I saw fireflies, I literally couldn't believe that they looked like they do in like cartoons and pictures. I used to catch fireflies in a, in like a little jar and poke holes in the top of the jar when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, for like the evening and then let them out. Yeah. It's uh, they are very cool. They're, they look just like in the movie. Neil, I'm, I'm sure you, do you have fireflies in England? They're all over the East coast. I have n- no idea. I've never, don't think I've ever seen them in the UK, but it's quite possible. I don't know. I grew up sure. in the countryside, so um, outside of DC. So they're everywhere. Wow. There we are. I don't now, think Ruben, they are in England. No, I, yeah, I feel like I would have kind of known about that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I would have. Um, but yeah, I've never, never come across them on my, on either, the, either there or on my travels. Um, and yeah, this movie doesn't necessarily make me want to come across them too terribly much. But Ruben, I do have a question for you as well, Ruben. Um, has your Maserati Ghibli arrived yet? It has not. You know, um, I, there's one parked on my block, though. Um, I think one of my neighbors <laughs> has one. Um, it's it's really I, it's it's a shame because it's the worst of the Maseratis. It's just it's oh. just not a good vehicle. Um, it's not so good, yeah, good I don't name. like that it's mm. besmirching the good name of Ghibli. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, there is one on my block. Um, I could try to steal it if you want me to. Is it got? <laughs> is it got the Spirit World mods? <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> oh well, then don't it worry is, about it. it. Just is, leave it alone. It is not very whimsical. No, just <laughs> whimsical score it. of one. <laughs> Dreadful. Well, you know, now when the three of us first met, uh, you guys were in Hong Kong, um, where I used to live. Uh, you guys were on, a, on an Asia tour. Um, did you go to Kobe uh, when you were in Japan? No, I didn't. I was just in Tokyo. I mm. went to Tokyo with Jamie, and then Jamie, you left, and I think I went to Hokkaido. I went to. I ended up going to Sapporo. You went north. Yeah, I went north. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was. I read a lot of. Um, uh, I read what Dance, 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 and Wild Sheep Chase. So I really wanted to go to Hokkaido, um, to kind yeah. of explore that area. Um, so, yeah, uh, I went north. Fantastic. Not to Kobe. Beautiful place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I did. I have been to Kobe, um, a, a beautiful little city. 
um, lo lovely coastal town, um, fantastic food. Of course, they're famous for the Kobe beef. Um, mm -hmm. But I went, uh, my, the most memorable thing I did there was go on a tour of the Kirin Distillery uh, in Kobe, which was fantastic. And the, the reason we're talking about Kobe listeners is, of course, because the Grave of the Fireflies is set in Kobe. But um, and if you are in Kobe, uh, I would highly recommend the, the, the tour of the Kirin Distillery. When I went, um, the tours were only in Japanese. Um, and, and so the hotel I was staying at arranged it for me. Um, and they arranged for the only, the, sorry, the best English speaker uh, in the factory, in the distillery, to come and do a private tour just for me. And it wow. happened to be, it happened to be the head brewer. Um, so I didn't get the tour guide version; I got the head brewer version. Uh, and he took me to some places that were slightly off the grid, and, uh, that the that the the regular tour, which I could see kind of, you know, fleetingly as well as I kind of went backstage. Uh, it, was, it was a real pleasure and then got copious amounts of Kieran at the end uh, highly recommended um, now uh, did you guys have you, have you seen this this one before watching it for the show no no, no. first time alright okay first time oof <laughs> right well I did warn you I, you did I tried to warn you in the last episode yeah. I, I don't think there's any warning that is uh, suitable for this one um, to prepare you. Um, yeah. look, be before we get into it, um, a little bit of history, and then Jamie's going to run through this, the, the plot summary before we get stuck into it. But a little bit of history in this one first, guys, because um, th this is still, we're still in the kind of nascent period for Studio Ghibli. Um, we've had, obviously, we had uh, Nausicaa, which was kind of pre Studio Ghibli, um, and we had uh, Castle in the Sky, which is obviously their first. Uh, very first outing. This one comes about um, as, our, as our first non-Miyazaki film, um, the previous two being directed by Miyazaki himself. And I think it's important to note that. I mean, many people associate Studio Ghibli only with Miyazaki, kind of especially during the kind of first half of their production run, as it stands today, um, kind of after which we start to see a few new directors and writers featuring. But back in the day, it was Miyazaki and the wonderful Iseo Takahara, the screenwriter and director of Grave of the Fireflies. Um, and Takahara and Miyazaki, they were collaborators right from the start, uh, kind of pre-Ghibli and then, and then on the early Ghibli works. Um, they, you know, they, they, they would either kind of produce and direct uh, alternately. Um, Takahara produced the first two movies, Norsica and Castle in the Sky, uh, and then he's kind of gone on to do the, the screenwriting. This is his pet project. Um, because this one came from uh, a published short story that I'm sure we'll get on to talk about um, the publisher of that short story and uh, a company called uh, Shinchosha Publishing um, not one for Sean Connery I'd still be here to, to, to actually it kind of sounds like Sean Connery Shinchosha Publishing, <laughs> publishing. Um, they own the rights to this so they hired Studio Ghibli to produce uh, the movie for them, uh, as opposed to the previous movies and, and subsequent ones uh, that were and are the, the intellectual property of Studio Ghibli themselves. Um, so this is 100% a Studio Ghibli movie, um, and it's marketed in that way, um, or at least it is now, because obviously that's better for everyone that it's marketed as a Studio Ghibli movie. Um, 
it often doesn't feature though as part of like a set uh, or or on things like Netflix. UK UK Netflix has all the Studio Ghibli movies. Doesn't have yeah. This HBO one. does not have this in their collection of Ghibli. Yeah. Oh right. So right. Yeah. It's so how did you guys have all... find it? Hulu. Yeah, it's on Hulu mysteriously. Yeah. Hmm. So HBO is supposed to have like the UK Netflix all of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I mean, and that's the reason why uh, it's it's it, the rights are not strictly owned by uh, Studio Ghibli. A um, couple of quick things before I wrap up. This one, this one was released in 1998 as a double bill with My Neighbor Totoro. Wow, now that that's a mix whiplash. Up of emotions, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right? Holy what a flip shit! That is. <laughs> nope. Yeah. I saw. I saw a show once that was Franz Ferdinand and Death Cab for Cutie, and they were alternating who went first each night. And I had the misfortune of seeing Franz Ferdinand first, and then oh, Death Cab. It's not how that's supposed to like work at all. Just buzzkill. And that's how I imagine this movie situation went. Please tell me Grave of the Fireflies was first. Well, it's interesting because in interviews, Takahara um, said that the reception uh, of the movies depended on which one they showed first. Uh, they say if because they didn't prescribe which one came first, the movie movie theaters could pick. Um, when Graveyard, uh, sorry, when Grave was uh, was shown first, uh, people often didn't make it as far as watching Totoro. Um, oh, but then no. when and then when but then when Totoro was first, that, I think that's the right way to do it, isn't it? You got you think yeah. you get you get raised up and then you get hit with a with a bit of bleak reality. <laughs> Although I I didn't you feel, get I didn't feel like my neighbor Totoro was was that happy was it? We could talk well, about well, that next. Was probably time. happier we'll than this. It. I don't think well, it's that yeah, happy. Yes. I'm gonna be okay. We'll talk about it later. I don't think no, that was we'll, a happy. Let's put a pin in film. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. Um. The, the uh, just the last thing I was going to mention when when Takahara uh, was ten years old. So this uh, this is as I mentioned um, comes from a short story. It's also a lot of Takahara in here when he was ten years old in 1945. Uh, his city uh, of Okayama, another coastal city in Japan, um, was firebombed, um, and his house was burned down. And he was separated from his family. Uh, him and his older sister were separated from the family, and it took them two days. Um, to find the rest of their family. So he's bringing a lot of personal, I think you can feel that in the movie, going, there's a lot of personal stuff in there for him as well. Um, and that is all uh, I had on the history side, um, and uh, we'll, we'll go through the plot, and then we'll get into it. What do you think, Jamie? Sounds good. Um, yeah, so the plot of the movie is pretty straightforward, although... Um, as I will discuss when I get done saying the plot, because I had not seen the movie before, I had a fundamental misunderstanding about what was happening at the beginning. Mm. Um, so anyway, the, the film opens with a young man who is in a train station. He's in rags and he's clearly dying. Um, and I believe that he says a name, Setsuko. And then later on, a janitor comes in and he's looking through his things and he finds this candy tin and he winds up just throwing it out into the bushes that are outside the station. And when he throws it out, uh, its lid pops open 
and there's kind of like a, a spirit image that comes out of this boy in a quasi-military uniform and a little girl and also fireflies. And then the boy and the little girl board a train together. And it's very clear that this is a flashback. I was just, I was confused mm. about the cause of death, shall we say. Um, <laughs> right. Basically, I spent the entire movie thinking that this was about the atomic bomb and that he was dying of radiation poisoning. Oh, okay. And I spent the entire movie waiting for the atomic bomb to fall because I didn't realize it was in Kobe. Mm. Anyway, so now we're back in time um, and you see the, the boy and the girl together. You realize that they're brother and sister and they're playing outside when there's air raids and um you know they're running around trying to get to the shelter they stop by their house their mother is on her way to the shelter so they say goodbye to her and uh after the firebombing is over it turns out that their mother has been injured mm. um the brother tries to hide this from his sister he is led by a doctor in to see her and it's clear that it's a very bad injury. She's probably not going to survive. And then uh, later she does die, which is quite gruesome. Mm. Um, so then after that, uh, Seda, the boy, still hasn't told his little sister, Setsuko, what happened to their mother. He just says that they have to go live with their aunt because their mother is in a hospital. So uh, they travel to a different town to live with their aunt. He also writes letters to their father, who's in the Japanese Navy. Um, and then Seta goes back to where they used to live and digs up some supplies which he had buried in the ground uh, before the bombing at their house. And he gives all of that to his aunt except for this little tin of fruit drops which you recognize from the beginning of the movie as the thing that mm. the janitor threw out. Um, among the things that he gives to his aunt are some beautiful kimonos which belong to his mother and she says she can sell them for rice and... Uh, other food products which are rationed at that time. So she does that and then she keeps a proportion of that for herself, mm -hmm. which doesn't seem totally fair. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so then there's like this period of time where uh, Seda and Setsuko live with their aunt who it slowly becomes clear is resenting them mm. and not a great, not a great aunt, um, especially once they're kimonos have outlived their usefulness she starts complaining about how much food they're eating she tries to make Seda feel bad that he is not working in a factory um, and eventually it gets so bad that they decide to strike off on their own so mm -hmm. there's a abandoned bomb shelter that they've visited during air raids before and Seda decides that they can live there and then I guess it's probably the first night that they live there. Um, they catch some fireflies and they pull them in underneath their mosquito net and they fall asleep with the fireflies dancing around. But then of course in the morning, uh, all the insects have died. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so Seda is out getting food or something like that. And he comes back and finds Setsuko, his little sister, burying them in a grave and uh, she's crying and she asks why they had to die and she asks why they had to die like their mother. And he, until this point, has not acknowledged to her that their mother had died and she says mm -hmm. that their aunt told her. 
Because um, she is, again, not a great aunt. <laughs> mm. um, so at this point, the movie gets into this extended period where they don't have enough food and Seda is constantly trying to find them enough food. He tries to steal it from a farmyard and winds up getting beaten by the farmer and then taken to the police and the policeman releases him luckily um, because he's compassionate and it's clear yeah. like what's going on. I assume uh, this is happening to many people in the town as the war winds down. Um, Eventually, Seda takes Setsuko to a doctor who tells him that she would be fine. She's just malnutritioned. And so he goes and withdraws all the money left in their mother's account to buy them as much food as he can with it. Because obviously food prices are also going up wildly because mm. of the end of the war. And uh, when he gets back with the food, unfortunately, it's too late for Setsuko. They have a last few moments together while she's basically dying of starvation, which is very distressing. He tries mm. to get her to eat a watermelon. Um, and then he says he's going to go cook the food and she never wakes up. Mm. And so then at that point, he gets uh, a little woven basket for a traditional um, funeral ceremony for her and charcoal. And he does that and he keeps her ashes in the fruit tin that we saw at the beginning. And then, um, oh, I also forgot to mention that when he was getting the money, he learns that the war is over and Japan mm. has surrendered. That's right. Um, and that he realizes that his father never wrote him back because his father is probably dead. Mm. Um, and so then at the very end, you see him uh, with the, the tin of ashes and also his father's photograph. And then finally, you see the ghosts overlooking modern-day skyscrapers in Kobe. Yeah. Oh, well done, Jamie. Tough one, that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's um, basically a movie about watching a little girl starve to death. <laughs> super uplifting. Yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, there's not, there's not really a story, is there? It, it's, it's really just an experience, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You, you're just kind of following along these um, these these two children as they try and survive, um, and, and the audience just experience their lives that they live. It's interesting in that way. Yeah, it's it's like very difficult because as an adult, I can like understand what's happening to the sister much faster than Seda can. <laughs> like, and you you first see yeah. her like clearly starting to become ill for malnutrition you're like Seda she needs food like you have to go back to your aunt you know but he's like 13 yeah. he can't think rationally or recognize what's happening that kind of thing so I was going to ask how old he is um, I only got that he's in 8th grade from one of the interviews from uh, Takahata mm -hmm. is that right so is that 13 you're in 8th grade I don't know what 8th grade is yeah you're about 13 in 8th grade I think yeah yeah I feel like okay. the ant makes some comment. He's like lying in bed reading a manga and the ant says right. something like, oh, other 13-year-olds or 14-year-olds are working in factories, something oh, like you, that. Oh, you could be right. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 sounds, that sounds right, actually. So um, one of, my, one of the, the things that I wanted to talk about, we might as well just get right into it, is uh, the villains of this movie. I mean, it's not a traditional movie in the sense that you have kind of good guys and bad guys. Um, 
But there are some villains in this movie, I think. Um, and obviously, the, obviously the, the, and, and I don't actually think that the allies and the, and the bombs are portrayed in that way. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think this is an anti-war movie in that sense. Hmm. It's, just, it's just a movie about the lives of these people during, during the, these events. Um, the, the villains in this movie for me um, are obviously the ant. Um, do you, so let's, why don't we talk about her first? Cause she's, she's really kind of a, a very, for me, a standout character in this, uh, in the, in this, in this movie. What do you think? Um, do you think it's, it's just personal kind of uh, her own psychological reasons why she's so mean to them? Like jealousy and resentment. Is that just her or what do you think it's all about? To me, it strikes me like as if nobody in the entire society really cares about them and that it's not like, you know, not that it's not acceptable for them to care about the two of them, but that like once these two kids lost their parents, you know, that nobody cares. Mm. Like the aunt doesn't care, you know, the rest of society doesn't care, the police officer doesn't really care, the farmers don't care. Nobody cares about these children anymore. So they're kind of just like out on their own. Um, I don't see her behavior as really different from everyone else's or, you know, different from how Mm. everyone else is acting. Um, So, yeah, I guess she's like maybe kind of like a personification of the villain. But I think like the real villain is kind of everyone in the film. It's just society is the villain. You know, there's there's some freshman college philosophy uh, uh, (laughs) arguments for you. but yeah, I think I she she's just acting like everyone else. She just doesn't care. She's only watching out for her own family. But it did strike me as kind of very strange that she wouldn't. I mean, it's her nephew and niece. Why wouldn't you share food, you know, with them? Even if it was like just your neighbor. You're at war. Like, wouldn't you, you know? It just seems like he was like when he got so upset that the war was over and that Japan just surrendered and nobody else seemed to care. It almost seemed like he was just completely out of step with the rest of his town or the rest of society. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like it seemed like he wasn't really in, I don't know. It seemed like he didn't fit, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, I totally agree. Uh, I, I'll, uh, uh, we, we, I think we'll, we'll get on to, um, to that in a bit. I think the, cause we, we need to talk about the war. We do need to talk about the war. Um, but yeah, just sticking on the villains for the moment. I mean, so do you think then um, that the friend, that friend who looks after Setsuko while, while Seta sees his mum, I mean, she tries to be helpful by doing that and then by getting them their biscuit ration. Um, I mean, she literally runs back with these biscuits um, to them. Um, but then, but then she, she says like, well, we'll, we'll be on the second floor uh, you guys should stop by later. It's like, well, why not look after them? Like, what, where, where do you think they're going to go? You mm-hmm. know, they're kids. It's like, it's like people want to feel, it's like she wanted to feel that she was being helpful, but, but just doesn't, wants to do the minimum amount to get that feeling and then move on because she's got her own problems. Do you think that's what it is? Just everyone's just got their own problems. I definitely think that's what it is. It feels like all the adults, including the aunt, you know, are like scared and uncertain about their future and their own access to food. 
Mm. You know, like even the farmer, obviously it was cruel to beat him, but the farmer also is presumably concerned about his family and feeding his family. And mm. especially as it, you know, to adults, it was probably very clear at that point that Japan was going to lose the war and they were worried about their futures. Mm. And I feel like that's why she's so, the aunt is so overly patriotic too. Like she's in a little bit of denial about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. She's kind of saying that, you know, let's kind of rally the war effort and all this. And it's like, uh, it's kind of a bit late for that. Yeah. What is the kind of like, is, is that culturally and historically accurate that, you know, it, cause it seems to me like nobody cared. Everyone was just out for their own good, which I, I haven't studied kind of, you know, Japanese culture, um, you know, in like in depth, but it seems to me like in most other cultures, you know, you, you would kind of want to care for like, even if they're not your own kids, you know, or you kind of like care for like, especially like young children, like it, it kind of struck me that nobody cared about them. I don't know if that's just because it was war mm. or if, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't really have anything to compare it to. Um, I mean, I guess you can compare it to Germany, you know, during the war or, you know, I don't know. Well, I feel like there's lots of stories from the Blitz in London of people like not wanting to share their shelters and getting like, you know, negative mm. comments from society. But it was definitely a phenomenon or like people were concerned about their rations. I yeah. don't know. I think that lots of people are fundamentally just concerned about how their own family is going to eat and survive. Was this his experience? Do you know? Like, I don't know if there are interviews with him, um, whether this was his personal experience of mm. him mm. not. Not that I, not that I saw, uh, in, I didn't see him get into that uh, amount of detail about it. Uh, the interviews I saw with him were fairly brief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I haven't read the book. Um, I, I assume that that comes through in the in the book in the short story because um, it's it's so prevalent in this movie. It's kind of it's it's almost its own character. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that um, set you know Sata has choices. He, he doesn't always he doesn't do the right thing, obviously, um, because of the result. Um, as you know, as awful as the end is, they probably probably wouldn't have died of malnutrition if they'd stayed there. So you alluded right. to that before, Jamie, right? They should have gone back, should have swallowed his pride. And I think that's part, right. you know, when you look at the Japanese culture, they are proud people. Um, mm. And, you know, if you look at, I, I think it is um, fairly evident that um, the precise kind of situation and the state of the war is perhaps it's being withheld from the Japanese people you know they're not kind of right up, up to date with exactly what what the situation is right um there's, there's one comment i think um someone suggests just to to say to that he needs to eat so that he can grow up strong to fight in the war and it's like well mm-hmm. that you're being they're being absolutely devastated at this point and there's obvious there's obvious the obvious conclusion is only a few months away but i mean I think there's a there's a general prevailing sentiment that the Japanese should have probably surrendered much earlier than they did. Right. Um, that's not absolving the Allies uh, of adopting these tactics, which are clearly kind of indiscriminate and designed not to dismantle the Japanese war machine, but rather to kind of crush the, the Japan, the people of Japan's spirit, mm-hmm. and fight. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
you know, the, the they're all kind of burying the head in the sand a little bit and i think focusing on the wrong thing which is you know you know how do we kind of just keep going in order to fight this war was really it should have been how do we keep going in order to just keep as many of us alive as possible mm -hmm. so that you know when it all kind of resolves itself we we can all still be here yeah apparently there is a live action version of this book Oof. as well but instead of being about well I, it talks about the two siblings but um it also tells the story from the point of view of the cousin and the summary I read says it deals with the issue of how the wartime environment could change a kind lady to a cold-blooded demon, starring Japanese mm. celebrity and actress Nanako Matsushima as the aunt. Oh, wow. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> I have not seen it. I don't think it's translated, but mm. could be another take on what happens to the aunt. So, I mean, okay, we, we, we can put it perhaps down to the effect that war has on people and and obviously that it's such an extreme circumstance that maybe it does maybe it does kind of make you a bit more introspective and a bit more kind of self or family or uh, immediate family orientated rather than you know being willing to help your neighbor and that sort of thing yeah i mean she seems like someone who probably would not be very pleasant or thoughtful in normal circumstances but if there wasn't like a war with rationing, she would just be like your mean neighbor who like, right. you know, told the homeowners association you cut your lawn wrong or something like that. But given but the, the, the deprivations of wartime. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just lost her reason. But, you know, she, she seems like a busybody. She seems like someone very judgmental. And then in the wartime environment that has like devastating consequences. Hmm. They, as far as adults are concerned, I mean, not many of them in the movie kind of um, you know raise themselves with 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 any kind of great dignity. One of the one, I think, the policeman is literally the only kind adult in the entire movie. Yeah, yeah, and and the, I mean, I think the friend of the mom in the beginning does think mm. like the aunt will take care of them. You know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think Neil's not ready more. to let her off the hook. No. Yeah. Is um is Saita is he a villain? Is he a is he a bad thing in this movie? I mean he I don't think so. He's already oh I don't know. I think he's like he's already thirteen he's thirteen, right? we'd say he's like thirteen mm -hmm. or fourteen. Mm-hmm. Do we let him off because he's thirteen? Well, I think that's I am. That's still pretty <laughs> Go ahead, Ruben. That's you Maybe your 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 prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed at thirteen, but you could still like, I don't know. It seems like he should have like gone like if the option is die or like go get food. It seems like there there's something like there's some seriously terrible decision making happening there, um, to the point where it's mm. willfully wrong decision making. Like you sh at all you need to do at that point is let yourself be guided by your instincts and your like like your primal instincts of getting food like and that's the only thing that should matter you know um if that means going back to your aunt for food then you should go do it you have to willfully decide against your survival instinct and survival instinct of your sister to not do that i think does he yeah. um go on jamie sorry 
I was going to say, in his defense, until they visit the doctor, he doesn't seem to understand what the problem is. That, that's what I don't understand. Like, that, I, I, I don't mm. really buy that. Like, yeah. you can see the sores they have on, on their backs. Like, it's clear they're not eating, like, I don't know, like, right. you're, you're 13, you're not 5. You know, maybe she doesn't understand what's right. happening. But he should certainly understand what's happening, you know? He should mm-hmm. understand, like, that you need to eat, you know? Like, and that if you don't eat, yeah. you, I don't know. He's, I think he's yeah, I think we can forgive him. Work. We can <laughs> forgive him maybe for not going back to the ant, because that's that's a more of an emotionally mature decision to kind of swallow the pride and and basically apologize, which is what you'd have to do, I suppose. But I I agree. I think the need for food is is more of a basic kind of thing that you I think a thirteen should understand. Um, it might not kind of cover all, all the basic food groups. You might not be given a, you know, as much, uh, you know, green veg as she possibly needs, but you know, um, he, he finally goes to the bank and gets some money out, which is That's quite a lot I didn't of money. I understand like why it, they, they had all this money in the bank. So I just didn't understand why he didn't go earlier. Like he didn't need to steal mm. food. He could have just gone and got his mother's could dead like he could have just gone mm. and gotten all this money and i thought when she said what they had like seven thousand yen like that was a considerable amount of money that he could have just drawn on to go get food like you could get enough food to last you you know i i that that's Bro, yeah. I understand yeah. you know i felt like you know because he doesn't realize his father's dead despite not hearing back from his father i feel like he had put himself mentally into like a holding pattern of like just gotta wait till my dad comes and like solves this problem mm. and even if he like rationally had thought about it and realized like there's a reason he hasn't written me back i don't know i just feel like he's very emotionally damaged by everything that's happened to him and is not making good decisions yeah, i don't know if you can blame him for it mm. <laughs> I mean, the real tragedy here is 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 there. Um, so Saito and Setsuka's isolation from society. I mean, that's well, such that society is. I mean, you know, everyone abandons them, um, mm-hmm. as we said, possibly because they have their own struggles to cope with. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, ultimately, Saito is not capable of handling it. Uh, you know, delving into the kind of romantic ideal of the cave. Uh, and living just the two of them, which all sounds great and is is for you know a little while, days or a week or whatever it is, um, they have some happy times. I mean, this it's a weird just juxtaposition in this movie where it's obviously disturbingly tragic, and we mm-hmm. see it visually um, in in um, in Setsuko's you know uh, how she transforms, how she physically. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the juxtaposition is that they have fun, you know, and they they they're kids, so they they're kind of, you know, doing kind of playing games and having make believe things. And there's a wonderful, beautiful montage, which is my favorite part of the movie. Um, right after uh, Satsuki dies, um, and the, this of her playing and just her on her own playing games. The superimposed so images, like where they superimpose the. Uh swing set and you know all over yeah yeah her kind of running around with a mm-hmm. with a sheet on you know pretending to be a ghost and all that sort of thing it's it's so sad because it's she's just literally just died but it's such mm-hmm. a beautiful moment and it kind of 
it it gets you because you, you they're having this really horrible time yet they're also having because they're kids um and there's they have a natural element of whimsy they're having also a good time you know when the little boys come to find where the swing is and stuff and they see the little grave mm. does that take place after she has died like i know in the movie it is not mm. but that you know they're saying like oh it's haunted mm. here and stuff it just felt like it was from the modern time rather than for more time no it could have been yeah i guess i'd have to go back and look and see what they were wearing because i don't remember they seemed a little out of place or it seemed a little like juxtaposed right so it didn't fit um yeah yeah it could have and it looked very he couldn't have lived that much longer and i can't imagine that camp breaking down that quickly you know Mm -hmm. so yeah i think you might be right about that that i like that yeah i like that i think i think it's i think saito lasts another couple of months mm-hmm. um and then and then he meets his end i, th- I think that that I quite, I quite like that idea that that he that the film without really telling you kind of goes jumps a bit into the future and and you have these kids kind of obviously seeing that it's haunted which is exactly where she died mm-hmm. uh, okay so we're gonna we're gonna sympathize with Saita. we should we're not gonna be too critical of him um I mean, the... he knows enough to put up mosquito netting. I mean, come on. <laughs> he does. That's just... He puts up mosquito okay, netting. That's like something he learned from his mom, you know? I don't know. If you can put up mosquito netting... He's a boy netting, in the should... 1940s. Probably no one told him about food. Do- nobody told him about food. Okay. <laughs> his mom probably always made it for him. <laughs> okay. I just... I think he's very traumatized. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. I'm traumatized by the movie and I was just watching it. <laughs> yeah, at the um what else have I got here? Any other thoughts guys up um We could talk about the war, the firebombings. Yeah, yeah, I guess we probably should talk about the war, shouldn't we? The firebombings were I took I had a bunch of classes with Robert McNamara when I was at AU. Um Oh wow! And um, that's cool. Who engineered Did he still the fire have the same haircut? Huh? Do you still have the same kind of side part? Yeah, he's it's, it's a very aggressive side very part. Very aggressive side part, but also like <laughs> yeah. very. It's very much more. It was much more um, thin. It was very thinned out at that point. Thinned out. A this bit. was right. Is he a big guy. He seems like a big guy. He's tall. Is he a, he's is tall. He a big guy? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a tall guy. Um, mm-hmm. This was right after yeah. he'd done Fog of War with Aaron Morris. Um, mm-hmm. So he taught a few classes and he talked about. Um, the the firebombings because he was the engineer of the firebombings he came up with it he used to work at ford and he was in charge of basically efficiencies he was a mathematician um and an engineer Mm. and they basically hired him to and he came up he said well the most efficient way for us to do this instead of having a land invasion is to just you know bomb these cities at these times to inflict maximum damage and we'll kill this many people and they're all made out of wood so like if we use these types of bombs Mm. then the whole cities will just burn after one bombing and we don't have to run multiple bombing runs. We can just do one bombing run mm. and we can maximize damage and kill more people. And I think it was, yeah, something they estimate probably uh, just under a million people died in all the fire bombings. They were much more devastating than the atomic bombings themselves, although they weren't as kind of new, you know, and kind of scary. But um, yeah, at that point, they were just, they were trying to get, the Japanese to just surrender because the Japanese wouldn't surrender and they clearly 
were going to be defeated, but the emperor wouldn't surrender. Mm -hmm. And um, the U.S. knew that a land invasion would be costly to them as well. So they kind of decided to just, you know, firebomb the hell out of the civilians and kill everyone. Um, Because, I mean, I guess better them than, you know, U.S. personnel dying was their calculation. Mm -hmm. But it was was purposefully supposed to be damaging. Like, it was supposed to kill people and inflict maximum damage that was the whole point well and i i mean that's and it's it's devastating um and you're right it's it's not as kind of you know well known i guess is it than than the two atomic bombs that were dropped you know the the reason that they i guess felt that they needed to do this is because general tojo who um was also prime minister uh, of japan at the time uh reporting only to the emperor um who was fairly passive um and let tojo run stuff um tojo was um was an old school um from an old school kind of samurai background right his ancestors not too distant ancestors were samurai and and the way of the samurai was still you know was it was kind of less than a i guess less than a hundred years old uh had had you know, we'd seen the, well, the end of the samurai. There were samurai up to like the Japan, 1850s, right? I think, weren't there? Yeah, exactly, right? Mm-hmm. We all, so we all really watched that Tom Cruise really... movie, that documentary that Tom Cruise did. <laughs> and that was really realistic. Yes, yes. But that, yeah, so it's still very much in, in the kind of ethos and, and um, the culture of the people, the samurai spirit. And the samurai spirit is to not concede, it's to not, it's to not surrender. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's to die. So you'd rather die than to let your enemy take you uh, or to surrender to him. So, I mean, that's kind of where that comes from. And Tojo, you know, was largely responsible for a lot of that. Um, he was making the decisions. Not only was he, he was all powerful because he took, he, he took a number of different political roles, not least the prime minister, but also kind of foreign secretary, minister, minister of defense. General, he was a general in the army, although he never served on the front line ever. Um, and uh, you know it's uh, it's it's just tragic that that kind of part of their culture, which is you know looking back revered and you know is a great strength to them, mm-hmm. actually in this case um, served to be their downfall. Was uh... yeah, kind of an interesting thing about um, you mentioned this thing about the atomic bombs being less devastating than the firebombing. I was reading about the um, B-29s, which is the plane that you see dropping, uh, very beautifully rendered in the movie, Mm -hmm. uh, dropping the incendiary bombs. And I was reading about those planes earlier today and learned that developing them, which they were made like pretty specifically for the purpose of bombing later in World War II, um, replacing the B-17s, their development cost... 150% 150% more than the Manhattan Project oh, wow. just to create these planes. So, Insane. yeah, <laughs> I guess that uh, they got their money worth, money's worth there. Mm-hmm. Yep. War is, war is mad, huh? War yeah. is hell, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, obviously Japan committed many atrocities in China and the Koreas and that kind of thing. So there's no way to like 
I don't know. I feel like the movie manages to sidestep the like morality issue of did the mm. war machine of Japan deserve to be destroyed by focusing on the civilian aspect of what's going on. Yeah, and I, that's why I think this is not an anti-war movie. I, I don't think it's blaming anyone or either side. It's it's not going there with it. It's not mm. not doing it. It's just not doing it. Um, I don't think Interesting. it's making a statement that way. War is the background. Yeah, I think I agree. The war is the background that sets what's happening, but like it does... It, you don't see the the planes almost come as kind of like background elements you know when they come and bomb it's like something that's expected kind of you know they come they bomb they're used to it it's almost routine that they run to bomb shelters you know he even like at one point he has this routine set up that when the fire bombings start he runs and he like steals stuff from people's houses mm-hmm. to sell you know so it's yeah it serves kind of yeah I agree with you Neil it, it's not it doesn't cast like one side as bad or good. It kind of like, it just sets the scene for what's happening and taking place. Hmm. Yeah. But the movie does indict like the, the adults (laughs) who are the ones who are perpetrating war. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it depicts like the horrors of war and in that sense Mm -hmm. is anti-war. But he has like yeah, fond no, that's memories just, it, of uh, it does. his father in the navy, like when he went to that naval uh, show, you know. So that yeah. that was a very positive thing that he you know thought about a lot and kind of made him happy. And that's that that's the only like aside from the bombings, obviously that's the closest we get to seeing like the Japanese side of the well, world. I mean, many characters in the movie, not many, there are that many characters in the movie. Full stop. But quite a few of them. Are, are kind of, you know, still kind of gung-ho about the war, mm-hmm. despite kind of, you know, being in this dreadful position that they're in. They're still kind of, you know, let's rally and let's, you know, let's keep fighting. And that, 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 that kind of, to me, is, is what I mean when, when I don't think it's anti-war, because I don't think that message is coming across from the characters in the movie. I don't think they're kind mm-hmm. of, you know emanating that kind of sentiment to me they're all emanating kind of you know let's keep fighting let's keep let's keep going you got to be yeah. strong you got to eat up so you can kind of grow up into a big strong soldier yeah yeah i, I, I just mean, think no, it's, definitely it's no not, adult makes a speech that's like this is why war is bad <laughs> i and i think that's done on purpose i i think it's not not it's neither anti nor pro it's it's just you know that's what that people were like in japan at the time Mm-hmm. And and this is the scenario, like you say, Ruben. This that this is this is the scenario that we find our characters in. So let's follow them along and see mm-hmm. what they do, um, which obviously doesn't go too well. But I think that's yeah. what that I think that's what um, Takahara is trying to do. I think that he's just he's telling the story, or or should we say probably more the author of the book, uh, whose name I forget. Sorry, um, you know it's it's about the. It's about what those children do and how they mm-hmm. end up, I think, rather than anything else. Which is which is terribly sad. It's 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 a terribly sad movie. It's what's interesting in the pantheon of Studio Ghibli movies because it you know we we've we've seen ah oh, two uh, fairly I guess fairly whimsical movies. 
mm-hmm. although you would disagree, Ruben, um, <laughs> in Castle in the Sky. Um, <laughs> and here we've got a, a solid and grim dose of reality. Um, the, you know, Studio Ghibli, it, it's definitely, it's a departure from where Studio Ghibli had previously been, although it's only the third movie. Although if you kind of take it on, the, it was a simultaneous release with Totoro, which is also kind of rather whimsical. So you can, this, you know, it's a departure from that. Um, and and the, the studio won't go back at all to this level of, um, or this tone, shall I say, and this level of realism, I think, but there are other in any of its movies. Real, there, there are other realistic movies there are. that are, there are and we, grounded. They're maybe not this dark, but they, they certainly are, you know, all human. True. True. The Wind Rises is a yeah. great example. I mean, The Wind Rises kind of glorifies the, um, you know, mili- militaristic um, aviation. So you're definitely, tr- you're definitely right. But the, definitely the tone, uh, as I said, is, is never revisited. Not, none of the movies... Uh, going forward or or this dark and grim what is this this did have sorry go ahead I was just going to ask what is this rated like I I know it's a cartoon but does anybody know what it was rated either in British or Japanese or the US usually because on on HBO it'll say what it does but this one did not say on it just said not rated it seems very adult (laughs) I mean, you're slowly watching yeah, gonna, gonna children no, starve to It that. says not rated for the U.S. What does that MP- mean? Uh, I think that means it was not wide enough release yeah. to receive a rating. It was submitted to the Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I think it was a 15. We have, a, we have what you call 15 in the U.K. I think this was either... A, Fifteen or I don't think they would have gone. See, we we either go U, which is like for everyone, Universal, mm-hmm. PG, Parental Guidance. Um, at some point, well, um, the movie Batman, eighty nine Batman was the first um, twelve. Um, so you have to be twelve to get in. This was eighty eight, so this would not be a twelve. Um, although it might have been retrospective given a twelve. Um, then we have fifteen, then eighteen. That's it. I think this one would have been a 15 in my book. Um, definitely not an 18, because that's kind of, you know, messed yeah. up stuff. Yeah. Um, the, I, don't, I can't see this being a PG. So this is probably I just PG well, here's a question for you guys. How old a kid would you, would you allow, would you, if you, if, if you had children, how old would they need to be for you to allow them to watch this movie? I was allowed to watch lots of super violent things as a child, which in no way messed me up <laughs> as an adult. So, therefore, I am the wrong person to ask this because I would probably show this to a child and I'd be like, "Look, see, war is terrible." Yeah. I I feel like nine or ten, maybe mm. if they if they were mature. Mm. I don't know, you know, because kids are different. Like True. some kids are much more sensitive. I'm thinking of my partner's nieces uh and i mm. feel like the nine-year-olds could probably handle it right probably yeah mm. with thinking... with adult like explanation you know right. like i wouldn't just be like hey go off and watch this in the u.s <laughs> this time. would definitely be a pg-13 nowadays i think yeah. It's, yeah. Released, yeah. It, it's yeah. pretty mature content yeah. i think that's right 
Yeah, I think that's where I would put it as well. And in fact, I would, I would, I was going to say maybe kind of Saito's age, maybe thirteen. If a kid was thirteen, that's probably, you know, given he's thirteen, yeah. you know, this is this is your contemporary from you know, eight years ago or however long it is. We um, should have had a thirteen-year-old on and been like, "What would you do?" Yeah, we should have. Would you let your little sister starve to death? <laughs> Would you come back to your aunt? Would you swallow yeah, exactly. How quickly can we get banned from Apple Podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can come up with one of those um, roll the dice books. You know, when you go from, uh, you know, what would oh, yeah. you do? This end choose of this your chapter. own adventure. Choose your own adventure. That's what we need. Um, I only managed to watch the Japanese language version this time, um, which is amazing, by the way. Um, it is fantastic the acting especially by the two ch- children are it is mm-hmm. unbelievable um is there a is there a disney dub did you guys watch the the english language version there's only japanese I, version i think i don't think there's an english version at all here wait mm. there's an english dub on there's Ooh. i don't think so did i watch yeah i think you watched what did i watch title. what did you watch <laughs> <laughs> i checked if there was a if there was a dub and i don't think there was it was only japanese I... Yeah. Hmm. Okay, I watched whatever was on Hulu, and now I have no recollection of if it was a dub or a <laughs> well, that's how you know it was good. Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. I oh, was that, totally drawn yeah. in. The, um, maybe there's no Disney dub because of the ownership issue. Cause it's, I um, assume that's... It's also yeah, a little yeah. dark for reason, Disney, right? I think. Uh, yeah, could be. Although they've been doing some darker stuff. Maybe. No, not, not quite this dark. The yeah, Last Jedi. Think, yeah. That wasn't Darth. That just sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, I'm not gonna get that into was it. That's just a terrible film. used Takahata used child actors um, from the region um, around Kobe um, because he wanted to get an authentic Japanese accent for for ki- for kids. From oh, Kobe. that's cool. Um, so he went out and, and cast around around town. Um, one of the things he did differently on this movie, which is the first time that he says he's ever kind of known this to, to be done this way, uh, was to have the actors record their parts first, uh, like based only on like pencil drawings, um, storyboards, um, rather than recording kind of post animation, uh, which is which is how it was always done back then they would do the complete animation and then they would get the uh they would get the actors in um mm-hmm. when you do it post you got you, you have to control how the actors deliver their lines because it has to really fit exactly what the animators have, have kind of locked in but for a five-year-old girl and, he, and they hired a, you know the voice of 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 um satsuki who's a five is actually a five-year-old girl oh wow. that's gonna be that's gonna be very difficult um so I mean, he's he's on in in one of his interviews. He's kind of saying how you know she got she would get frustrated because they they would get her to do the same line kind of you know a bunch of times, and then they would obviously mm-hmm. in post they would pick the best one. She would get kind of upset and frustrated, and they would have to kind of give her a time out and let her play for a bit or whatever. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, at least at least they could then just say okay, let's do it again, and not have to like really prescribe like you've got to stop this word earlier you know that would be really difficult i think for a five-year-old girl um, yeah 
So yeah, so they um, they just let her read the lines uh, and then fitted the animation around that, which is now always how it's done. They always get the the actors in first, and then because it's much easier to get the animators to to hmm. make it fit. That's really interesting. That is, yeah. I I would I, I would so. have imagined it is because when they do the dubs, when they did the English dubs, when Disney does the dubs, they're with slightly older actors, right? They're not of the same age. I mm. don't think. The last couple of times yeah. I looked, they were they were slightly older, mm. you know, only by a few years. Mm-hmm. But thinking about getting a five, I've had to, I've had to use child actors before um, when directing, and oh my god, like it is so hard. You have to have, like all the parents are on set, so I had to. I was trying to direct <laughs> six children at once for like a classroom scene. You know, you've got twelve parents in the back. You you have maybe four hours, like that's it, right? To to direct, yeah. you know, these kids, and that's it. You have like two good hours and then two two shitty hours out of them, you know, and that's <laughs> all that's all you can really record. So I can't imagine like, and they weren't even that young. I think they were like six and seven, which doesn't sound like mm. that much more. But if you're using a f- five, is significantly, I would say, much more mm. difficult to work with than like a seven year old. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I mean, props that they use such a young actor. Um, actors, but like that had that has to be yeah. tough. I agree. I can't imagine convincing a five-year-old to act in a movie. <laughs> yeah, well, she was part of a child actor uh, troupe uh, in Kobe. Um, the she she put as everyone else did a recording in as an audition, just a voice recording, obviously, um, and Takahata just heard it straight away and just said i think this is the girl uh even after she just said her name and her age he said i think this is the girl and then the other kind of producers around him or the 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 entourage around him were like oh she's too young it's gonna be really really difficult and he was like look make it work this is the voice i want and it did she's Mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant in this movie He, he also described how difficult it was for him to actually animate a five year old girl he'd never uh, dealt with a character that young before so just the movement of a five-year-old uh, and mm-hmm. how they play and he, he said he had to kind of really learn uh, how to do that on this movie because i guess you don't have um, like one of those the, little dots mm-hmm. you know those dot suits they hadn't they didn't come up with that back then you know you had to just no that's right yeah you can like you know have like tracking yeah. to like help you animate a child's movement yeah, I guess you would just have to watch yeah, videotapes yeah, and such, for, right? You just have to, to literally watch right. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, really difficult. This is actually quite time pressured as well. This movie, I think, from start to finish, it was kind of twelve months, hmm. which is crazy. Now they take like four or five years for each of their movies, Studio Ghibli. Yeah, uh, and he actually didn't want to do it that quickly, so he he turned down the project, or he he, he kind of said, look, maybe we shouldn't do this. Uh, the, for whatever reason, the publishing company had already decided on the release date. I don't know why they do this. Why do studios do this? They they kind of hire someone. Hey, would would, would you move, make this movie for us? It has to be released on the twenty third of March two thousand twenty two. And it's like, why? <laughs> like what? They always put these dates, and it's like, oh my, come on. So they mm-hmm. they gave him the date, and he said to Miyazaki, uh, "It's not enough time. I don't think we should do it." And Miyazaki was like, "It's tight." But it might be because this because Takahata at that point had not had a, a big movie, and Miyazaki mm-hmm. was like, "This might be like your this might be the only shot you get at something this big. Mm-hmm. I think you should do it." 
and he was like, yeah. you know, you're right. You've got to take the chance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the fickle world of, of entertainment, isn't it? And, and movies, you might, that might be the only shot. So he took it mm-hmm. and it was, uh, and it was a big success. I mean, what, so got a question then, right? Obviously it's a, it's a pretty good movie, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Shall we? Uh, yeah. Shall we? Shall we? Shall we see where it fits in the scale of our of our ratings? I just want to point out that there are two like very classic Studio Ghibli things in it, despite oh, right. yeah. its like more serious nature, mm. and that is uh, somewhat. <laughs> I don't. I guess the word ironic would come into play that they depict the food and the cooking of the food like so beautifully as they mm-hmm. do in all Ghibli films. But then of course, like food is the problem in the film. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Interesting. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing of course is flying machines, which like, Oh yeah. You know, you see the um, B-29s like look perfectly rendered and also the, uh, the zero, the kamikaze plane, mm. which is like, you know, instantly if you, know like what world war ii planes look like it's instantly recognizable as the mitsubishi zero and then like mutates into the firefly so also, yeah despite uh it's more like real world placement it still has those two mm. big themes is there not a scene where we see just one bomber going across the sky i think towards the end yeah i think so yeah i think so yeah there is that yeah. doesn't it doesn't bomb anything was that i don't i'm not sure if that was supposed to be a reference to the atomic bombings or what because there was one scene where he just looks up in the sky i think he's down by the water or maybe he's down and he just sees one plane mm. kind of going up really high in the sky um i thought that was was that post uh i thought so that's, I believe, before he finds out that the war is over, but is, to the adult viewer, supposed to signify, like, it's not bombing, but it's an American plane. Gotcha. So they must have right. surrendered. That's how I took yeah. it. Okay. Mm. I took it as, a, oh, they're probably, they might be showing the atomic bombing now. Or maybe that's yeah. what's going to happen. Because um, I don't remember mm. what the original city was that, that, were tar- that was targeted, but... It wasn't struck initially because it was too cloudy. Oh, yeah. So the bomber had to go up to that's another right. city. Um, and that's why they hit Hiroshima, because they're supposed to hit somewhere mm-hmm. else first. Oh, I didn't know that. I not remember which city yeah, that was. Yeah, that's why I couldn't remember which city it was. Wow. But yeah, thank God it was cloudy that day in that city. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, may- maybe as an, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I'm an American or not, but I just spent this whole movie thinking about the nuclear bombs. Well, that's interesting. Is that, is that because, um, is that because the, that's a natural kind of go-to? Like if you see this, you know, devastation of Japan, mm-hmm. you just, that that's the natural assumption? I think that, um, also, just personally, uh, my paternal grandfather was an airplane mechanic in the Pacific Theater during World War II, and wow. he worked on B-29s um, in India, which then flew over the Himalayas, which were known as the hump, to uh, fly on to bomb things in China mm. and Japan and the Pacific Islands. Um, so, right. because I know that like the Enola Gay is a B-29, as soon as I saw that, 
I was like, atomic bombs. And also, like, when he was mm. dying in the station at the beginning, I was like, uh, I think the station guard said something like, lots of them, this has happened to lots of right. them. And so I assumed it was, like, radiation sickness, mm. like a long-delayed death, you know? Anyway. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's, no. That's my reasons for why I kept thinking it. So it was, and I, I spent the whole movie waiting for the ending to be the atomic bomb. It was bomb. supposed to be Kokura. I don't know Kokura. I don't know where it is, but I think it's in the mm-hmm. south. Um, if okay. I'm, I'm just reading this now. It's supposed well, to be Kokura. That would make sense because Hiroshima is in the south. Yeah, so and then they they kind of diverted too much of a and bombed mm. bombed a different city. Mm. So that's why mm. when I saw that plane, I was like, "Oh, is that supposed to be the plane flying over to bomb and then flying by?" You know. Mm. That's really uh, interesting. It could well be, yeah. No, it could well be. That's quite interesting, yeah. Because it's not it's not dropping fire bombs, is it? No, no. Mm-hmm. And it was only one plane. It wasn't like a series of. So it clearly, was not on a firebomb. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about the one plane aspect. Yeah. That's interesting. That's mm-hmm. what I thought it's. And maybe that's what it was. Because then I think the scene spot, after is, or not? Maybe not directly the scene after, but shortly thereafter, they say the war is over. Right. That's why I thought it was like the foreshadowing of a plane, an American plane flying over and not causing destruction because they had surrendered. But Interesting. Yeah. Oh, there you go. See, I, I hadn't read anything about that uh, in any of the um, articles and reviews I read about this movie. Yeah. Apparently yeah. the plane did fly up so, the yeah. coast when it couldn't bomb the first city. Hmm. And then bombed, the, or down the coast rather, and then bombed the other city interesting could well be now um let's let's talk about how we what we think about this movie then um we let's do the whimsy skill first because it's a fairly easy one to deal with right (laughs) 10 it's gonna be a 10 (laughs) see for me for me it's not a zero Mm -hmm. because uh, it's it's a low score, right? But it's not a zero because of all, it's all the whole movie is a retrospective from the point of view of Saito's spirit, mm-hmm. right? And then and then at the end we've got the two kids' spirits on the train. They meet up, the two spirits on the train, uh, and then they look out through the window uh, to the to the city in the background. So I mean, that's quite Ghibli esque whimsical. To see the two kids after you know post mortem meeting up in the spirit world, so mm-hmm. I'm not gonna go zero. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a two, on the whimsy scale for this. Hmm. Ruben, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go one point five. Um, oh yeah. Flies were pretty whimsical. Until they were dead. <laughs> um, I guess. <laughs> They're whimsical for a period. Um, <laughs> they are real things, though. Yeah, the they are really real. They, <laughs> I, as a Colorado, and I'm not sure I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie doesn't believe in fireflies. Just like, just like birds aren't real. Puffins, <laughs> exactly. Drums. Puffins are certainly not real. <laughs> Definitely not. Have you ever seen a puffin? Didn't no. think so. They're not real. <laughs> like all other birds, they are not real. So you're giving it a 1.5? Um, yeah, I'll give it a... I'm giving it a 1.5, a little less than Neil. I guess the 
yeah, the, the spirit thing kind of was a bit whimsical, but it was, this thing was just based completely in reality. There was, it was just a straight, like, kind of, yep. you know, mm-hmm. telling of a story about, like, real human experience without any kind of flourishes, really, I thought. Hmm. Jamie, hmm. you're going to have to make a decision. I know. I'm going to give it the lowest whimsy scale of all, which is one. One. And that, yeah. We we can have you, a zero. You can have a zero, zero whimsy. That's fair. I don't think there's zero whimsy. Yeah. Because, I mean, Setsuko is very adorable. <laughs> Is that whims? And like, especially when she first has <laughs> her little blue tick. outfit, and she, yeah. Mm. So, the... I was gonna say, when is she adorable? Is it when she's starting to die? I mean, is that when she's prior adorable? to that, the soles on the back. Oh, poor little Setsuko. Yeah, it's super adorable. When she's maybe. first in the movie, she's very cute and very whimsical. Yeah, she's cute, but that is again a real thing. I feel like she's much cuter than a real child of that age. <laughs> Possibly. She's very well, That's very good because natured. because she's starving to death, Jamie. No, so she doesn't have cheeks. enough energy to not be well behaved. Not for the whole thing. <laughs> All right, so we've got two, a 1.5 and a 1. You're going to get a 1, Jamie? Yeah. All right, okay. Makes a lot of sense. Um, what about your overall rating? This is the it's the grade school rating scale. Oh, I'd give it an A. I thought it was yeah, an excellent. Yeah, I'd give movie. it an A as well. It wasn't too long. Um, the story was very well done. The animation is well done. Um, yeah, it's it is a pretty fantastic movie overall. Mm-hmm. But is is on that scale then? Because I don't, I don't know how you guys do it in America, but is A, a, pl- a the plus. best, or can a you get a better plus. than an A? You could get an A plus. A plus. So you're not, so you're not giving this an A plus. No. Just, just, <laughs> just an A. Yes. What would it need to do? What, justify that. Why, why is it not getting an A plus? What's, it what's not hitting you? It lacks That's exactly what this movie needs, isn't it? Actually, yeah. Come to think of it, she would have whisked, she would have whisked, set away to safety. Um, I am not giving it an A plus because I don't think it's perfect, which is not mm. horrible. You just got to be perfect to earn that A plus. Yeah, an mm-hmm. A plus is literally a perfect movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Only Fair Jurassic enough. Park earns an A plus from me. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was a Studio Ghibli movie. Exactly. I would watch that. That would be great. That'd be so cute. <laughs> It'd be so whimsical. Those raptors would be so whimsical. I know. I'd love it. the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and little Timmy would be adorable. He would be. He wouldn't. It'd all be irritating, like in the real movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I also give this an A. Um, so that's. That's three. That's three A's. That's three A's. It's um, that's pretty decent stuff, huh? Mm-hmm. Where do you that's think? Uh, where do you think overall. it? Where do you think it comes out in Paste Magazine's top one hundred anime movies of all time? We know it's not number one because we gave uh, 
we gave that away. Remind me what number week, one was. Last episode, Akira. number one was Akira. Oh right. I I would guess it's in the top ten. Top I, ten. I think they probably snubbed it because it's like so such a departure from like mm. what from like I don't know. I for some reason it just strikes me as a wow. movie that they would not give a high score to. I'm gonna give it like maybe a twenty five. I'm going to give it an 8. That would be quite a, quite a snub, that. 25 and an 8. Well, uh, it, you're both uh, underestimating it. It comes in as number 3. It's on the roster. Wow. wow. Number 3. Is number 2 a Studio they, Ghibli film? It is. Okay. Is it Totoro? No, it's yeah, you can't, don't tell us. Don't tell us. I'm not going to say. It's clearly um, spirited away. <laughs> That's well, three. we'll see. The um, paste love it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think they consider it to be. Well, possibly they consider it an A as well. Maybe not perfect movie because probably they would have to give that only to Akira. Exactly. Um, it has a one hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes score. Wow. From forty critics. But what about uh, the audience score? Is ninety five percent from sixty eight thousand audience members. It does not strike me as a movie that would be widely seen and loved. I don't know. Maybe maybe I just assume too little of people. Like that. I, this seems like something that you would have to have, <laughs> have a certain level you, of intelligence, you know, to, to to enjoy. And I I just doesn't strike me as something like Bill from Kansas would enjoy. You wow. know, like very rude to Bill. Sorry, Jamie, that's not a dig at you from being from the Midwest. But, I'm know. not from the Midwest, so... You, you went to Oxford, so, you know... Oh, thanks. You, you don't count as a member of the Midwest. Um, sorry to all our Midwestern fans out there. Well, we shall ask our future, future guest, um, uh, John Ingle, who's from Kansas City. Mm. Uh, a future guest who's going to come on and talk to us about Howl's Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, can ask him what he thinks about this one. Oh, that's the uh, worst sure one. He's a big fan. <laughs> How, Howl's Moving Castle. Yes. Wow. Hot take. That movie is hot so unnecessarily hot long. Take. Hot take. Hot take. Way too much of um, that movie. Anyway. We have, um, <laughs> we have a guest. Uh, we have our first guest coming on to join us next episode, in fact. Uh, we shall wait. You shall have to wait and see who that is. Uh, but uh, next up, we've got uh, the wonderful My Neighbor Totoro. It's part two of the double bill of Grave <laughs> of the Fireflies. Uh, we watched this one first. Can I? We didn't do it in the right order. Can I tell you guys something funny that Google is suggesting to me for Grave of the Fireflies? Mm. Oh no! So I just—is it human in your mains I... that you can buy on Facebook Marketplace? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, I did not find that. I just Googled Grave of the Fireflies, and at the top, you know, Google suggests similar things. And the topic it's giving me is bomb movies. So my similar movies are The Hurt Locker, Patriot's Day with Mark Wahlberg, and The Angry Birds (laughs) Movie 2. Oh my good God. (laughs) I see the logic. Um... But wow. I see the logic if you're a poorly programmed algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Grave of the Fireflies, better than Angry Birds movie too. 
I yes, I think that's fair to say. I haven't seen it, I but think I that's assume fair to say. it is. This just seems like such a, a movie that would seem sort of niche to me, you know? Like I quite enjoyed it, but like it would seem like kind of like, you know, modern theater. Like very good, but like probably not something that a vast majority of people would enjoy. I don't know. That that's that's I think you're underestimating was... humanity. Everyone is dumb, it's Jimmy. A... Like, come that's on. That's not true. It's not true. <laughs> it's not a Marvel movie. I mean, that's true. I mean, yeah, it, maybe on. those movies have helped yeah. uh, dumb us down a bit. But uh, we're talking about it's, a, it's we're a talking tough about watch. People that like made Wonder Woman. That uh, I'm, just, I'm not even going to get into it. It's Don't terrible. even get started on Wonder Woman too. <laughs> it's they flew a fighter jet from behind the Air Space Museum, which is on Independence Avenue, to Cairo in a fighter jet mm. without refueling. What? It's like they don't understand well. how planes work. You can't do that. So anyway, this movie, sorry. Grave of the Fireflies, was more realistic about airplanes. Yes. Than... Yes. <laughs> Definitely. <sighs> Definitely. If there's one thing well, I can't stand, it's not having realistic movies. About airplanes. That's right. <laughs> Physics are fine, people. Well, if there's one thing that this is, uh, this movie is, it's, it's realistic. It kind of, yeah. it kind of feels real. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you really buy into the, the characters. I mean, it's a beautiful movie in the sense. Um, it's beautifully made. It's beautifully um, animated. It's uh, the characters themselves are beautiful. I mean, the the kids are you know you really you really feel for these kids. You really buy into the, to to their characters, mm-hmm. uh, which makes it all the more tragic. You know, if it didn't do that, if it wasn't as good, uh, it it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. It's the, the the material is bleak, but you get through it because of the characters, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got to take your hat off to um, to the director for that. And 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 the screen he's, he he wrote the screenplay as well, um, so you got to you got to tip your hat off. Are also beautifully done, like you know when you kind of see the hellish like bombed out landscapes, it kind of really, you know, yeah. like it kind of they're draws bleak. you in. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they're just so bleak, you know. The the environment draws you in. It's just so it like envelops you, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I couldn't find you um uh, an an anime cell for this one, Ruben. Um, search high and low on the internet, but uh, they're they're obviously scarce uh, commodities. These things mm-hmm. being finite items. Uh, I did find you um, an original movie poster from 1988. Uh, oh. If you want to buy that for me, uh, that's only going to cost you about a thousand dollars. That's not bad. Uh, it's it's not the one that was subsequently discovered to have a hidden bomber uh, at the top. Um, it's one of the, it's a different one, the one with the umbrella. Uh, but ah, yeah, the yes. if you want to if you want to just get that if you want to get that for me, you, you can. Yeah. I'll put I'll stick it in the post for you as soon as I purchase it. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll add it to the to the Amazon wish list I've got Great. for you for Great. me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. Well, shall we? Any any final thoughts, guys, or should we wrap it up there? I don't have anything else. Yeah, no, it's a great movie. I, I really enjoyed it. Bleak bleak subject, but very, very well done. And you enjoyed it on your on your Christmas Day, Ruben? Yeah, it's Christmas yeah, Christmas Day, yeah. What better Just day to watch nice, it? Nice little nice little 
Nice little uplifting Christmas, movie. Christmas, Christmas morning. I love Christmas it. Morning. Opening your presents. Yeah. <laughs> going for the fireflies on in the background. It's beautiful. Right. Um, <laughs> well, come back next week, folks. Um, we've been uh, we've we've been delighted to have your company with us this time. Hope you can join us next time again for My Neighbor Totoro. Um, my name is Neil. You can find me also on the Mogwai Minute, uh, where I talk about the movie Gremlins. One minute at a time with my buddy George. Guys, where can the gu- where can the listeners find your good selves? Uh, you can find me here, or at Radio Clash Revival on SoundCloud, where my friend Clea and I talk about books and music. And yeah, brilliant. And I've still not listened yet to your Christmas special, but that's on my uh, on my playlist. Excellent. Looking forward to that. I was about to plug the Christmas special and then realized I didn't know when this would come out. So, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> At some point, there's a Christmas 2020 special you could listen to. Indeed, and you can get Ruben's recommended long read reading list uh, on Instagram. What's your What's your handle there, Ruben? That's right. It's Tay Ruben D C T E H R U B E N D C. I have many long reads you can check out, as well as photos of my cat Hobbs which is yes. it's just photos of my head with cat hops. That's it. <laughs> yeah, in its present uh, shaved form. Yep, line cut. Yep. Yeah, nice. See you guys uh, next time here on uh, Science and Magic. <laughs>